Hello, and welcome to In All of Us Command. I'm Kate. I'm Aaron. And we will be learning about national anthems. Each week, we choose a new country at random. We will learn a little bit about this country, and then we will listen to their anthem. After listening, we will rate the anthem based on several criteria and see how they all stack up in our humble opinion. Now, we don't want you to think that because of the title, we're huge fans of Canada. In fact, we plan to dunk on it pretty much constantly throughout the show, and we do not expect it to finish highly in the rankings at all. So welcome back. This is part two of Spain, which is going to be fun. Can you remind us exactly where we left off in part one? Yes. So as you may remember, um, the War of Spanish Succession forces Spain to give up a lot of the European territory that they had held, including Belgium, Luxembourg, Sicily, and Naples, among others. Um, Spain remains under French control, and we're like right on the cusp of like the French Revolution and the, excuse me, Napoleon times. Uh, right, and, which we learned a little bit about in our Argentina episode with Ferdinand the Seventh and all that. Yes, we're going to talk about Napoleon, like starting right now, basically. Cool. Um, the second half is really like a long, long story about right versus left politics, and right. <laughs> the whole thing, like trying to settle down for a minute. Um, so, which it doesn't really do. Okay. So, Napoleon in Spain. Um, Napoleon first invades Portugal in 1807. And the Spanish, who previously had been allied to Napoleon, and I guess like they thought they were on good terms with Napoleon, suddenly kind of realize that they're not, and that he's like right on the doorstep. Um, And they're, you know, right to be suspicious, because come 1808, Napoleon sticks his brother Joseph on the Spanish throne. Right. Um, He also sends some 118,000 soldiers to make sure everything is cool (laughs) with the people um and napoleon is i thought this was great quoted as saying with my banner bearing the words liberty and emancipation from superstition i shall be regarded as the liberator of spain (laughs) sounds like which okay so it seems that napoleon thought this was going to be really easy he was like oh we'll take spain it'll take like a day no problem they'll just give right up and Which, um, like, you can't blame Napoleon, I guess, for having developed a bit of a superiority no, complex. It's okay. You can you can think that if you want to. Um, but Spain, we're not just going to roll over and take it. Yeah. So the war that follows is quite brutal. Um, as it turns out, Spain isn't really into the whole Napoleon invasion thing and lasts until 1814 when Napoleon finally abdicates. Um, The departure of the French sort of fractures Spain, which is now suddenly extremely disorganized and split into a number of provinces. Post-Napoleon, there is a lot of political turmoil and political tension as people kind of start to resist the idea of absolute monarchy and try to move towards a constitutional monarchy. Right. This is a long, confusing fight. There are kings, and then there are no more kings, and then there are kings again, and then there are no kings. I don't know. It goes on for a long time. Um, This kind of tension leads to the Carlist Wars, which take place in the mid-1800s, which kind of gives rise to two sort of main political parties, moderates and progressives, or essentially conservatives and liberals. Right. Um, This is like the laying the groundwork 
this is the fight that's going to be happening. This like going forward, but yeah. under different names. But sure, you, you will course. see it come up like over and over and over again. So in the late 1800s, Latin American countries get their independence. I think quite quickly, like one after the other. Yes. <clears throat> and then, excuse me. The First Republic in Spain runs from 1873 until 74 before a monarchy is reinstituted. We could do a whole other podcast also about like different Spanish kings and monarchs. Um, you could go like one by one, <laughs> totalis rankium style, um, and do it that way if you wanted to. This whole kerfuffle includes a war in 1898 with the U.S. over the explosion of a ship in Cuba that I figure we will talk about more when we get there. Um, the monarchy is restored, but is heavily criticized by folks from Catalan and Basque um, who want autonomy from the whole thing. Right. And the military is not into this. So after a 1907 election, um, Spain is divided into the right wing, um, which basically is trying to figure stuff out with the monarchy and then the left wing who are looking for a republic still. Um, you will notice that the working class is not really represented right now. And this is going to be another kind of tension sure. as well. Um, so ex-journalist sort of turned politician Alejandro LaRue starts the Radical Party, um, striking a balance, according to Britannica, between anarchy, terrorism, quote, educational propaganda, and unions. So he's <laughs> trying to like... It's quite a heady cocktail. Get right all there. that together. Um, the National Confederation of Labor is founded in 1910 on the heels of this. Um, previously, unions had been like mostly fairly weak mining organizations, and this gives them like a little bit more power. Um, finally, socialists admit that they can't really make large-scale change by themselves, and then they ally with the Republicans, which gives them like, a huge leg up. Right. Um, but they basically that make that decision that they're willing to make some concessions to win some territory. Yeah. Um, Spain remains neutral in World War One. After the thing with the U.S. and Cuba, and like a long war in Morocco, the army is really in no shape to participate in an international war. So even if they wanted to, they just kind of can't. Yeah. Pull themselves I together. What what year are we up to now? This is World War One, so like nineteen fourteen. Okay, so kind of about time. So yeah, that's actually before we're going to be talking a lot about Morocco next week in uh, the Sarawi episode, and uh, I, I believe it's much later than that, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, with the war in Morocco, like the the part that concerns the the Sarawi. Oh yeah, yeah. There is there is a whole thing in North Africa that I'm really not getting into here in any. We'll get into it in our Morocco capacity. <laughs> I figure we'll get there when we get there, but I don't know. It was there's so much. I made hard choices, Aaron. It's it's <laughs> a big thing to cover, and also just the time it takes. Like you know, this when there's like a person comes up and you're like, oh, I need to know a few more things about them, and so you look them up, and then it's like another twenty page article about whoever and then for sure but yeah the, the nice thing about these these conflicts especially where like spain is such a larger player on the world stage than morocco mm -hmm. is is this war that might be something of a footnote in spain's history 
is going to come up in our Morocco episode. Yeah, like it's that's not true. going that's to true. get completely ignored. No, you make a good point. And I think at some point we have to just, I have to just be okay with that. Yeah. Um, Cause you can't do everything. Okay. So war, like as usual creates a pretty good economic boom in Spain, even though they're not participating directly, they still get a lot of the, the tricklings right. of good economy. Um, but there's a lot of competition also between sort of who's getting hurt in politics. And this is, again, as we will see, um, a division that's happening between the church and the monarchy and the anarchists and socialists and workers' movement and the military, and everybody kind of has their own ideas. Um, and something has to give here, which culminates in the 1923 coup by General Miguel Primo de Rivera, who you've probably heard of, maybe. I'm not sure that I have, to I be thought honest. his name was familiar, but I couldn't quite put my finger on it. Anyway, we'll talk about him a bit. Um, and he is backed by King Alfonso XIII, who's actually pretty important and will come up again. So this is Rivera basically saying that he has no other choice in order to save the country. Um, and he just kind of takes over. Um, he turns out to be a really unpopular dictator, um, though not actually Shocker. because not because he murdered everyone, which is a win, sort of. Dictators are bad, but anyway, um, and not our last dictator either. Uh, Rivera installs a single political party, which is not supposed to have any political ideology, but I mean, that's literally impossible. So it's all very like, quote, traditional, read conservative and family values and religion and like owning property, et cetera, et cetera, um, which we were all familiar with. Uh, Primo de Rivera was not a big fan of higher education without pretty strict rules. He is quoted as saying, no culture at school will be permitted that is not religious and patriotic. So you can see what education was like at the time. Yeah. It's pretty narrow. Not that much fun. Anyway, um, luckily, though, none of Rivera's reforms really hold up in the long run. Um, he had originally promised a return to civilian rule once things were kind of under control. But after seven years in power, nothing had changed. The old problems that existed before, including disagreements, religion, labor, education, inequality, it's all still there and nothing really happened. Student uprisings at the time are really gaining momentum, especially after founding the non-Catholic Union and University Student Federations. Uh, Rivera cuts the military, and they don't like this one bit, so he's kind of forced to resign in 1930. At this point, no one is really interested in the monarchy at all, and uh, King Alfonso, who we met earlier, realizes that he kind of can choose between resignation and civil war. He takes resignation, and he kind of backs out of Spain in 1931. Okay. So now we move into what's called the Second Republic, or as I'm calling it privately, everyone is worried about socialism, which <laughs> sort of flips back and forth well, between... We're we're diving headlong into, like, fascist Franco era. Yep. Yeah. He's coming right up. That's what I thought. He's coming right up. It was, like, 31. I'm almost <laughs> surprised he's not there yet. He is. This next section is a fair bit of, like, overlap and okay. things kind of happening all at the same time. I did my best to try to put it in order. I probably it, fucked it something up. It can be really hard, when, especially when the sources bounce back and forth like yeah, they do sometimes. Which Don't they worry do, about it. Which they do. And then, as I say, I 
tried to put it in order, but like World War II happened sometime in here and we'll sort of get to that. But anyway, well, Spain remains neutral in World War II. They do, yeah. which honestly makes this a lot easier. Because <laughs> if I was also trying to research Spain's involvement in World War II alongside the Civil War and everything else that's about to go down, um, that's that's no fun. Yeah, that's no fun. Um, so. Basically, this this time period, like Second Republic, flips back and forth between provisional governments, left-wing Republicans and Socialists, and then conservative radical Republicans, Republicans sorry, and Roman Catholic right, and kind of all of this between 1931 and 1936. It's a tumultuous time. In 1931, there is an election to try to make some decisions about Spanish government. Um, a huge majority votes to abolish the monarchy and install a liberal republic, which is, as I'm sure you can imagine, not easily digestible for everyone. There is also a but bonus. Like most people. <laughs> most people. I can think of only one very small group of people who would be upset by that. Yes. Um, there's also a sort of bonus revolution in 1934 that I'm not really going to get into. And then a military uprising in 36, which we will talk about down the way a little bit. The main right-wing faction at the moment is called the Spanish Confederation of Autonomous Rights, um, which in Spanish, Confederación Española de Derechas Autónomas, or CETA. Um, some of the left are kind of done cooperating with left of center, which then sort of splits them, and the right remains united. We see this a lot, right? Where yeah. the left is like, no, we won't compromise on anything, and the right's like, yeah, okay, whatever. I'm the right, so it's fine. I, I like the translation of that party name because i know it's saying they're they're talking about like rights with regards to autonomy yeah. but calling themselves <laughs> autonomous <true>. rights <laughs> makes it point. sound like we're a bunch of righties yeah. who are autonomous i don't think they were kidding themselves i think they knew <laughs> and i think they knew that the left was the enemy um so socialists at this time also are not thrilled by Nazi action in Germany, and they promise an uprising if Sita supports Hitler. In the October Revolution of 1934, socialists rebel against the legal government because they can kind of see what's happening in Germany and they can see the support that they're getting from the current right-wing party. Can I just posit that we need to stop naming revolutions after months? Because yeah, I swear to God, we've had two or three October revolutions already. But this one is 1934, Aaron. Keep it straight. <laughs> Sorry, keep going. No, no, it's it's a good point. It'll go up there with all the Berlin treaties. and Yeah, exactly. Whatever, okay. Um, this revolution gets everybody all in a tizzy about socialist takeover red scare or kind of a thing then in 1935 parliament is dissolved and a new kind of violent election is held in 1936 which brings the left to power then the right does a coup and there is a civil war i'm gonna interject here just to say that spain remains neutral in world war ii but the government sympathies are kind of with the axis yeah um it's where they would have gone right? if they had gone at all, which they did not, luckily. Good job. Um, so this now is the Spanish Civil War, which you also may have heard of. Um, started by right-wing military officers in Spanish-occupied Morocco and is fought against the current left-wing Republican government. 
This is where we meet our dear friend, Francisco Franco, um, who at this time is a military general who kind of uses his political weight to kind of get other important army guys to support the uprising. Mm -hmm. He also goes to Morocco doing like a little errand to kind of bring the army back to mainland Spain. Uh, This revolution, revolution, civil war is a bloody mess. Um, In 1937, Franco unites the right-wing nationalist group under the, I mean, Falange? Falange? I'm not entirely sure. Anyway, it's a fascist political party. Sure. It will come up, but the name isn't that important. Um, And the Republicans kind of all go communist. Um, Germany and Italy back Franco with weapons and planes and tanks and like all kinds of other war stuff. And the Soviet Union gets behind the Republicans. Other left-wing people come to help out from the United States, the USSR and France, which really helps like the left hold Barcelona for pretty much the whole thing. They only lose it at the very end in 1939 when it is captured by the nationalists. Franco, not interested in negotiating peace, takes over as dictator. Right. Franco is a little bit of a make America great again kind of a guy. He wants to do everything internally, and so he really limits imports and exports. Right. Which is shit for the economy. But, I mean, um, also not to mention, there's probably a bunch of people who don't want to trade with fascist Spain. Yeah, that's probably also true. Um, he also, I think, similar to Rivera, promises to kind of, like, let it, let it go when everyone's kind of back on their feet. But then continues to not do that. Because he likes being dictator. Um The lack of trade, as I said, is really bad for the economy. Everybody is hungry, and the black market is having a field day. In 1955, Spain is admitted to the UN, but people are still angry. They don't like the dictatorship, as they should not. As previously mentioned, dictators, bad. Yeah. (laughs) Don't do that. Um, There are a lot of student protests, and the Communist Party tries to boot Franco, but they are not successful. Um, eventually Franco is kind of forced to open up trade, which allows for economic expansion through like 1962 to 66. This again is kind of okay for the middle class. The working class is still suffering because what else is new? And in the late sixties, Franco isn't doing great health wise and is having a bit of a succession crisis where he hasn't picked a successor. And he also hasn't done anything about transitioning Spain to a democracy. So Franco, the big old monarchist that he is, um, tries to install one Juan Carlos, who's the grandson of the previously mentioned Alfonso XIII, um, as king. And Carlos Arias Navarro is selected as premier. In 1978, Spain establishes a constitution and becomes a constitutional monarchy with the intention of transitioning to a democracy, which eventually happens. Um, Spain enters NATO in 1982. And that's where we're stopping or risk coming into current events too much. Although, I can't believe how long Franco stayed in power. I thought it was a much shorter period. It was a that. decent chunk. Yeah. So he was kind of an old guy at the end yeah. there. I don't know if he was doing that much. May- maybe I didn't um, realize how young he was when he took power. He's but. also just involved for so long, like first yeah. in the military and then kind of rises as dictator. But that was, but. again, like a fact I had encountered in my mm. Sarawi research as well. Um, I forget exactly what, but you know, his death inspired someone to do something. And I was I was surprised Probably. at how long he hung in there. <laughs> yes, it's a decent while. Um, I would like to mention also that Spain still has a royal family. So similar to England, I think. 
yeah they operate on kind of a public affairs kind of impressions level i think i found a youtube video of one of the princesses giving a speech cool i couldn't really understand it because it was in spanish and i did not read the whole transcription thing but anyway they give the same vibe as the british royal family you can see very much the parallels there anyway i have some fun facts um, so there are many, 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 many famous Spanish people. Yeah. Um, I will not list all of them. I will discuss a few. Um, these are, as I said, certainly not limited to Rafael Nadal, who's a big old tennis star. Yep. We all know him. Um, many artists, including Salvador Dali, Pablo Picasso, uh, Francisco Goya, and Diego Velázquez. which incidentally, I was talking to my aunt earlier. Velázquez is one of her favorites. Hmm. She loves him. I said, what about Goya? She said, no, I don't like him that much. I, I don't know Velázquez actually, but the others are, are some of my very favorites. So <laughs> I think you've seen, I think you've seen sure a Velázquez, and yeah. you just maybe don't. No, he does a lot of like children in very stiff dresses. I, and I feel so bad for those kids. Anyway. <laughs> I love Goya though. That one, the Saturn eating his son or whatever is so yeah, gory and that, amazing. That's a fun painting. I'm a big Dali fan also. Yeah. Picasso, I don't know. Like I like Picasso, but I like Dali better. We'll talk about it later. Okay. <laughs> New podcast, Spanish artists debate with Kate Naren. <laughs> um, there are also... A few actors, notably Penelope Cruz and Antonio Banderas. Cool. Also a bunch of others, but I don't really know actors that much. <laughs> I'm sure you would have had a much better time with that than I will. Because um, I suck. I look at people's faces. I'm like, oh, yeah, I saw you somewhere in something. and Don't know what your name is, though. Anyway. So the national animal in Spain is the bull, which um, makes sense because they also have a festival where they do the running of the bulls, which I think most people are familiar with. Um Basically, they let some bulls loose in the streets of Pamplona, and people run from them on their way downtown. Have you ever seen videos of it? I saw some photos, yeah. It's it's insane. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know what would make somebody do that. But anyway, um, this is part of the annual Festival of San Fermin, which takes place on the same dates in July every year. Cool. This is apparently regardless of the days of the week. Okay. It's just like, it's this day I to like this day. I like it better that way. I'm always screwed up by oh, so holidays confusing. that are on different days depending Easter? on the weeks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> which like, moves around all the time. It always screws me up. Yeah. Uh, so I appreciate that it's on the same day every you know year. What? Me too. It's in July. Anyway. <laughs> um there is right spain has also i got some conflicting sources on this is either third or fourth or like somewhere in the top of the largest number of unesco world heritage sites oh interesting um, following italy china and like on par with germany more or less i think this is kind of changing all the time too yeah so it's hard to nail that stuff down but you might remember um we the, uh we will never have any country beat however the vatican city's a hundred percent unesco world heritage site right, right? yeah because yeah it's yeah um <laughs> you'll remember from the first part of the spain episode we talked about those big old archaeological sites yes that have been basically permanently inhabited since the beginning of time human time anyways so i think that has a lot to do with it cool um also, you may be familiar with a little book by the name of Don Quixote, which was written in 1605 by Spanish author Miguel de Cervantes. 
and is considered by some the first novel, Don't Fight Me. Talk to us on Twitter if you have differing opinions. Yeah, I, I've I've heard that said. Yeah. I don't know nearly enough about the debate to insert myself into Me it. Me neither. I have not even read Don Quixote. Me neither. It's really long, isn't it? I think so. Yeah. I think so. It's one of those ones you always see for like 10 cents at the used book sale. Yeah. And I'm always like, oh, should I buy that? And then I'm like, no. It's like so public <laughs> domain. Gonna save my 10 cents. <laughs> and there's always a windmill on the cover. A little guy on a horse. Anyway, um, there's also an annual food fight festival in Spain called La Tomatina. Yes. Where people throw tomatoes at each other in the streets. Yes. There are rules. Like you're not what allowed to <laughs> you're not allowed to tear people's shirts and all tomatoes must be crushed before throwing so as not to cause injury. I love that. So there's that. If I you, would love to go to that someday. There are so many tomatoes. There are trucks. I think one of the other rules is that you can't harm the trucks. With the tomatoes in them? I don't know. Like, it seems... They probably had to put that in place to get people... Like, there was probably one year right Mm -hmm. after trucks were invented where they did this and everyone pelted the trucks with tomatoes and they were like, all right, something's got to change. So I read... Also, like, I couldn't get a second source for this. I read one thing that said that this festival was banned at some point. Um but then reinstated like several years later after people held a funeral for it by like burying a tomato in a mini casket or something like that. I really hope this is but true. Then they chased the party police out of town and, and got back to yeah, it. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> something. It was like 1945 or so. Okay. The source said, I don't so know if it's really a good true. time for the party police. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, Spain has also over 8,000 kilometers of coastline which I thought was interesting. Yeah, Makes perfect sense. I, it does make sense. It's a massive peninsula, but that's yes. that's an incredible number. It's very cool. And also the photos. Like It's like looking at photos of Greece. Like The water is so blue. Oh, I know. And the landscape is so beautiful. And everybody lives in these cute little houses. These cute little like cobblestone roads. I don't know. I just... North America doesn't look like that. We like cars too much. Um, also, final thing. The tooth fairy is not a fairy in Spain, but a mouse by the name of... Ratoncito Perez. (laughs) I love that. Yes, it's true. And he will take your tooth. And I think you're supposed to put like a glass of water, like milk and cookies for Santa kind of a thing. And he will drink the glass of water and he leaves you money or a small present behind in the glass. Okay. Yeah. That's that's my new favorite. Isn't that great? Thing. I love that. I think there's a book or a movie or something about him. Ratoncito Perez. I love that he has a last he name. He has a last name. Oh. <laughs> Perez. I was expecting you to end at Ratoncito, no. and then Perez was just it's, what made it art for it's me. It's Ratoncito Perez. So you got to love that a little bit. Um, so in a minute, we're going to take a break and eat some food and listen to some anthems. Great. Um, Spain is the last one with no official lyrics. Yes. And actually, I don't really know how we're going to manage this because there have been versions Unlike oh, some yeah. other ones. The, is this one like a really old anthem? It's a really old yeah. anthem. And the the anthem, the music has not changed. But the lyrics, people keep trying and it keeps not happening. We'll okay. get into it. Yeah, There's actually we'll, some history here. Sure. We'll, you know, we'll find two or three versions or whatever yeah. and, and rate the lyrics between those. Yeah, that's what I think we're going to have to do. 
Um, in the meantime, we're going to eat some food also. Yeah. Today, I will be making for us a type of sandwich called bocadillo, which is, is going to get some people mad at me because I shouldn't be calling it a sandwich because that's on square pieces of like toast bread and not long pieces. Like You have to cut it lengthways. If you don't cut it lengthways, it's like completely invalid. Right, but that's still a sandwich. <laughs> I guess technically. But I think I think more than that, it's a bocadillo. Um, anyway, we were going to do paella, but I didn't want to spring for lobster and saffron. Yeah. So maybe another time. <laughs> if someone wants to mail me some saffron. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, this type of sandwich is meant to be like an easy kind of leftovers. What are we going to have for dinner? I guess right. we'll just throw together this thing kind of a food um, it's usually only two ingredients on the bread usually meat and cheese often cured meat or ham is also very popular mm-hmm. you can also do veggies the bread has to be this like crusty kind of baguette type which i bought a baguette i think there's like a spanish version right. which obviously they don't have at loblaws so um we're gonna do that when we come back we will have listened to marcha reale or the royal march all right Welcome back. Uh, we ate some food. We listened to some anthems. This is kind of a weird one, so it'll be fun to get into it a little bit. Yeah, our final um, anthem without official lyrics, which is like nice going forward. It's we don't kind need of to worry about running into relief. that again. Yeah, because <laughs> it's it makes for a stressful writing situation. <laughs> but anyway, um, let's talk for a minute about the bocadillo. Yeah, sandwich, which I thought was very good. Yeah, I mean it was it was a sandwich. It, it was, was it was very tasty. Yep. It was pretty much exactly what I expected it to be. Yep. Can't I managed. Complain. I got the the cured meat we used is just like a sopressata. Yeah, yeah. Thing. I did actually manage to get a Spanish cheese, though. Oh, nice. So I was pleased with myself. The cheese was very nice. About that, the cheese is good. There's more in the fridge. Oh, good. <laughs> we can snack on it later. <laughs> um, okay, so this anthem is interesting. As we've said, it's the last one that we're covering with no official lyrics. Um, it's called Marcha Reale or the Royal March. Um, people, it seems, because there's no lyrics, kind of hum along when it gets played. And Great. there's <laughs> I love that. I had one source that described it as doing like a na 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 kind of a kind of a thing along to the anthem. So that's an option too. If that's you're fantastic. In Spain, and this is happening. Um, in so 20... really, the lyrics we should be examining are na 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 awesome. Precisely. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, a, a fun anecdote: um, in 2018, there was the World Cup, and people were confused. Just like other spectators and people watching it on TV and stuff were confused because the Spanish players weren't singing, right. and they were like, "What do they not know it? 
Like, how do you not sing your national anthem at the freaking World Cup? Yeah, and I guess San Marino and Kosovo and not whatever the last big one. soccer players. Yeah, not not big World Cup contenders. But Spain is like very much on the world's eye, kind of in a way that these other places are not. So, plus, I feel Kosovo's, for example, is so recent. I feel they can kind of get away with it. But yeah. Spain. Anyway, this is um, one of the oldest anthems in the world, um, having been composed in 1761 by Manuel de Espinosa de los Monteros, and originally as a military march. Cool. Which I think you could hear very much in the one version and less so in the other two. Yeah, the one that um, was essentially being played by a military yeah, band yeah. very much sounded like a military march. So you can kind of arrange it as you would like. Um I loved that first arrangement, but we'll talk about that a bit. In it was the, good. In the it, music. It's a good one. It's very floofy. Yes. Um, in 1770, Charles III declared it the official march of Spain, and later it sort of transitioned into being the national anthem. Right. Um, people have tried to write lyrics like several times, but none have ever been approved by the Spanish government. There was a competition in 1870, but no winner was declared. Okay. Lyrics are by, sorry, lyrics by Eduardo Marquina, who is a Spanish playwright and poet, were used often between 1886 and 1931 while Alfonso XIII was king. Okay. The anthem was actually replaced for a time during the Civil War with the title um, and song Himno Riego, but and Franco promptly replaced it with Marcha Reale again after winning the war. Okay. So it was short-lived. Um, Franco looking at the the lyrics, there's another set of sort of Franco era. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cause then Franco comes on in and he hired fascist poet, Jose Maria Perman, um, sorry, Pemen. I thought there was an R there is not, um, to write some lyrics. But then as soon as Franco died, they were like, nope, we're not keeping this. And they were immediately booted and not very popular anyways. Um, I had another source that said that, Pemmon's lyrics get used sometimes, but I don't know if that's true. I'm they're gonna the ones say, I'm thinking of. They're they're they haven't aged particularly great. Yeah, I, <laughs> I don't think that's. I don't really think that's true. But I had a couple of sources. It's a bit funky. Um, the the thing though, okay, I don't know. I was expecting the Franco lyrics to be. M- more offensive yeah that's fair they're, they're not certainly not inoffensive like no it... there's i don't know there's there's a lot of like sort of fascist pro-colonial sentiment going on in those i can see i can see why they're not like the most offensive things of all time but i can also see why they would have been abandoned immediately after franco yeah yeah and i think people hated him so much anyways that there would have been no reason to keep them around yeah um so then in 2008 the spanish olympic committee tried to kind of make lyrics happen again um in the interest of because spain i think was bidding for the 2016 olympics I believe, and they thought it would be cool if there were lyrics to it. Sure. Um, But they never got there. (laughs) I read a couple of sources on this. Wikipedia wrote that the Olympic Committee had a competition, or like maybe two competitions. This was a little bit unclear. Um, 
and they did choose a winner, but then they had to pull the anthem five days later because people were angry about it. I read another source, and I don't know if this is true, but anyway, um, that said that the they opened the Olympic Committee, the version that they came out with, um, the first line they chose was Viva España, which people were mad about because it's a, a phrase that is associated with Franco's dictatorship, right. um, which is tough because it's like a very common... Well, and especially if that's the case, like, that line's so much of the anthem. Yeah, yeah, it is. So I think people were not super thrilled about that, and in the end it didn't happen. So Spain remains with no official lyrics, but a very catchy tune. So with that, um, let us maybe get into some ratings. Yeah. So these lyrics are going to be tough to talk about just because we're drawing from all these different... We really know how to do it. There's yeah. so many. I mean, <sighs> it's it's interesting to hear that Viva España was such sort of a catchphrase for, for the Franco era yeah, of Spain. It but comes it, up it again. It does come up even in these original, like, Alfonso the 13th but lyrics. It makes a lot of sense, though, because Franco loved that guy. Right. He was a big monarchist, and I can see it being, like, a logical step for him to borrow from that anthem and or those lyrics i mean i think i'm gonna score these guys really well in terms of historical significance Mm -hmm. but none of these really blow me away that much i love in in this third the carlist lyrics we have here where they're calling out the freemasons (laughs) saying with his impure breath he sinks the nation yes which uh wild mm-hmm. uh it's creative that it one is the franco one less so i find that you know not a very creative fascist poet that he hired <laughs> to write those i've got five and a half yeah is where i'm going for these yeah i think that's that's cool i'm gonna go also sorry you said five and a half i wrote the wrong thing i'm gonna go six yeah Music. The music, I think, is the music is quite strong. Yeah, yeah. I especially that first arrangement we listened to with all those little ornaments and grace notes in it. I thought was really beautifully done. Yeah, that was really good. Um, I would give the music probably an eight. Yeah, I was thinking. I was thinking eight point five. Eight point five. Okay. And background. The background is interesting for sure. It's it's interesting that this anthem has had such a long life as the anthem and even prior to that as whatever the national march. Yes. Um it's it's cool that it has you know, we saw I think in Slovenia that it was based off like a 14th century song, but mm-hmm. it hadn't existed in its context as a Slovenian anthem anywhere near that long. Yeah, no, this is clearly a song that like means a lot to people and has done for like hundreds of years. So it's, it's really fascinating to me that it's stuck around for so long, even through sort of the, the monarchy losing a lot Mm. of the power they held over the nation that this Royal March has still remained there. Yeah. Anthem. Uh, I do think it's interesting that in, 
the whatever 400 years they've been working on this anthem they haven't <laughs> settled on a set of lyrics they've yet. had already like so many competitions but you know okay we saw this a little bit in the history though that there's always like eight groups fighting each other yes for what spain should look like and i think it's just like a trickle down from that sure those same people are having that same argument just now it's about the national anthem lyrics but there there is a lot of rich history here and it's it's maybe not the most exciting or quirky history we've learned so far but there's there's a lot there there is because it's gone on for so long uh i think i'm gonna give them another eight and a half here yeah i was gonna oh no not 8.8 i can't type right now um i'm gonna go eight again um significance it is hugely significant i think is where this anthem really really shines especially in the fact that though there are no official lyrics there are (laughs) unofficial (laughs) lyrics for so many eras with so many specific references like every generation has to give it a try and and even the the idea that this line of viva espana has Mm -hmm. taken on a different meaning over the course of the anthem is really fascinating to me and that it's in all three of the versions yeah it does come up um a lot i mean yeah i think i'm gonna go 10 for historical significance here i don't see i don't see how you get too much more than this no i agree i think i i'm gonna go 10 as well i fully agree with you on that i think this has some x factor i think it has some some it's maybe not the most x factory yeah i think when Unfortunately, that really regimented, like, military band arrangement of it was was my least favorite. Um, I liked how they opened it, though, with the one trumpet guy. Yes. I was actually super excited for a solo trumpet version. Yeah, so and was it I. it didn't happen. So was I. Um, and then they kind of killed it. But anyway. <laughs> but when done with an interesting arrangement mm-hmm. and with you know some sort of passion in in the playing i think this can be a really beautiful anthem yeah i think i was saying to you when we were listening to them unlike some of the others we've listened to it's not nearly as churchy yes as i thought it was going to be honestly given the like long religious history in spain but um, really we we've got like a spectrum of march to church that these anthems tend to fall on and this falls a lot more on the march end of that spectrum definitely leaning march instead of church which honestly is kind of a nice (laughs) <laughs> break for a minute i feel we've had a few church ones yeah anyway um although yeah. with we've also had a few like with no god in the lyrics just with very churchy music yeah that's true too maybe they're trying to like make everybody happy <laughs> like we'll give you the religious sounding music but you don't get to talk about god um yeah for x factor i'm gonna go maybe like six yeah i was thinking six and a half okay so let us add this up and we will see how we are doing And that gives us a total of 77. That's a pretty solid which is total. pretty high and like well above average. Yeah, that's going to put it uh, just behind Sao Tome and just above Guatemala. Nice. Nice. Um, shall we roll for next time? Yeah, I think it is the time for that. Give me number 127. 127 is going to be a decent amount of scrolling and gives me Nauru. Nauru? Now, N A U R U. 
I would guess Nauru. I've seen it in writing before. I would guess Nauru. Yeah. I have no idea where that is. No. I've I've gotten a better idea of a lot of geography doing this. Me too. Um, but also it continues to... Which is part of what, like makes me want to declare every country that I haven't encountered an island nation. <laughs> <laughs> this one could be. I don't it, think so, though. No. I don't know. I, I I get a feeling in my gut about island nations, and I'm not getting that not feeling from about Nauru. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you know when you go to, like, a fair, and there's one of those guys who's like, I will guess your weight and your age within, like, two pounds of whatever... You're like that, but with island nations. Yeah. We'll take you to the CNE next time. Oh, God, that would be so easy to cheat. There's like 200 countries. <laughs> it's true. All right. Well, next week, join us for Aaron. What's your episode again? Uh, my episode is going to be on the Sahrawi Arab Democratic Republic. You're doing very well. I'm going to try not to have to pronounce that so as not to butcher it accordingly <laughs> and then in two weeks i'll be back with some information about nauru which is probably not an island nation great did we get something very wrong did we skip an entire part of the story that's worth mentioning that's very likely and we'd love to hear the correct version Please tweet us at IAOUC podcast or send us an email at in all of us command podcast at gmail.com. We record these episodes a bit in advance, so you may not hear a correction right away, but we're not too big to admit we are wrong and it will be corrected. <laughs>